You're tuned in to RX Radio. Movement prescribed. Brought to you by Prescript.com. A personalized approach to keeping you healthy and making your best even better. Your hosts, Dr. Jordan Shallow and Dr. Jordan Jinta. So first off, thanks for taking the time out of your day. It's great to have you on the show. This is something that I'm pretty excited about. I really enjoy a lot of your content. Um, I think you put a lot of good stuff out there into the weightlifting community, and I really enjoy your trolling on the internet, <laughs> if, if we can call it that. <laughs> well, well, thank you for that. I appreciate that you watch my stuff and, yeah. and enjoy it. Uh, it means a lot to me. As far as the trolling stuff goes, we can dive down that rabbit hole. I try not to... <laughs> You know, there's a, there's a fine line between trolling and just ushering your opinion. So yeah, I try to stay away from, from the former of that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, especially when, I mean, it seems like you do it in a more well-intended intended manner than just uh, actually just kind of picking on people. It's more so standing up for, for some, some values and what's actually right in the strength and conditioning world. Right. I, I, feel, I, I feel like it's less about going after someone and more about just asking questions or pointing, pointing an audience to, uh, to things that I believe are wrong. Uh, it's not about me making claims first and foremost. I try really, really hard to stay away from that. So even if someone says something like in training that they do that I may or may not disagree with, I usually won't even like talk about it. It's usually, it usually stems from, like I said, when, when someone will make a, some sort of an absolute claim or something that if you poke and prod a little bit further, you know that it's, that it's BS, that's, that's what I try to do mainly. Yeah. And the internet is a weird, scary place when it comes to Very weird <laughs> advice in general, but uh, especially yes. training advice. There's a, there's a lot of really bad stuff out there and that's... Yes. Uh, I think what's kind of drawn me to towards you and, and um, especially some of your YouTube videos, there's first of all, some of it's just entertaining and, and good weightlifting news. But but then uh, if you dig a little bit deeper, some of the more kind of well thought out, more more um, like the programming stuff that you do, um, I think it's really digestible and it's really good stuff for athletes and, and coaches alike to really build some knowledge on. Uh, and I think you do it in a really, really effective way. So, so. I found kind of that the the basis of my content is not to really come from like a very, a point of authority. Uh, I feel like I'm not at that point yet. And if there is something that I feel like I have authority on it, it may be because I've produced, but even then, like there's no absolute authority on, on really anything in this world. I believe, you know, you should be questioning everything at all times. For me, it comes, it stems from, the way that I see issues manifest. So it's not always just like, Hey, you know, these are the rules stick to them. It's like, I can give you pieces of information. And if you start to train for a while, I usually know where you're going to run into issues. And so those issues that are further down the line are the ones that I try to talk about more. Okay. It's not just teaching beginners how to weightlift. That's pretty simple. Actually. It's, you know, it's only a few steps. It's the realization of the problems that most likely will occur. That's the really tricky part. And I spend a lot of time 
you know, writing out certain things, uh, thinking about ideas, just talking them over and over and over before I make a video on them, uh, because it is so difficult to try and grasp those concepts. Yeah, absolutely. Trying to preemptively see what's going to go wrong and then, then exactly. account for that before it happens. So yeah. b- before we get too too much into this, because uh, we kind of just dove in, for the listeners that might not know who you are, can can you give us a little bit of, of uh, background on yourself and how you got into weightlifting and, and how you kind of got into um, putting out content on, on YouTube and, and some of the stuff that you do, your podcast also? Yeah, so I, uh, I'm going to try to do this very fast. <laughs> All right. I grew up an athlete and in a very athletic home. My dad played professional football. Well, he, he ended up getting cut before, uh, but he, he played. Uh, he was a starter at Northwestern University. And my sisters all swam. I played like every sport growing up. I ended up going to the University of Vermont uh, to play uh, Division One lacrosse. I played all four years there. And that's, you know, whether it was football for whether it was high school football that drew me to the weight room in the first place or more intensely uh, for lacrosse, like that was more of like a job type thing and very intense. Um, that's where I got into the weight room. And when I graduated, I basically de- determined like I still got a lot of uh, strength to gain. Like that's not my peak physically and athletically. So I actually, I saw like some article about like Murph. And then I, I realized that that's CrossFit. And then I went into a CrossFit gym and I thought it was awesome. I immediately wanted to st- start coaching. Like the first day I knew I wanted to coach it. Uh, so I got my level one in CrossFit. And then I started to like advance really well. Like I, I you know, it, it wasn't like I wanted to go to regionals or anything like that. I just, I knew I was getting better and better and better. So I started training with one of the coaches there and we got really into weightlifting. And then at that point, I said, if we're going to train weightlifting very hard, I want to compete in weightlifting because I think it would be a really cool thing to do. So I did my first weightlifting meet in 2014 and, you know, I was hooked. So I got, I got my USAW level one. And then from there, I got a full-time job as a CrossFit coach. This was an important move for me uh, to work full-time in a, in a CrossFit gym it was because I was teaching very, you know, I'm just going to say non-athletic people how to snatch and clean and jerk And I was doing it at an insanely high clip. Like there's no group of coaches out there that teach the snatch and the clean and jerk on such a high volume like CrossFit coaches. Yeah. So that's where I got like my basis to be able to like speak to a group and just teach them how to snatch and clean and jerk. But I did it, you know, but it wasn't as good as it could be. From there, I got really sick and tired of just the, uh, I cared more about performance. So what I, what I did was I got my uh, CSCS, which is like, it's pretty intense. You have to, you know, study this book and take a a big test. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of the gold standard for anyone who wants to get into strength and conditioning at especially like the collegiate level or or any sports team, really. Exactly. So I got that. uh, And then I got an internship at Northwestern University and I was there for about eight months. And then I got another internship at Texas A&M University. So I currently live in College Station. I'm just out of the strength and conditioning field. When I got back to, when I got to College Station, that's when I really started to like pick back up my weightlifting. I started to compete way more. And then after Texas A&M, I started to just personal train to like make money at a gold's gym. And then that's the kind of the point where I was training very hard for weightlifting. I was just personal training. And then I wanted to get back into like making videos, making content. Someone told me about like doing stuff on YouTube. And that was in like, that was later, man. That was in like 2016 or something. 
And uh, I didn't really understand like the YouTube community or anything like that. And when I got into it, I thought, I thought YouTube was more just like a place to like share links. And like, if you want to upload a video to share it to someone, like that's what you do. Right. I didn't know like really what like a YouTuber was. So someone, you know, told me about it. Like people upload videos talking about their lives, talking about the things that they've learned, what they're going to do with their lives. And I got obsessed with it. I mean, I just started following like, you know, Casey Neistat, like you name it, like everyone under the sun. And I, I was just, I loved it. So I started to make videos at that point. And interestingly enough, I made, I started making CrossFit videos, like my experience with CrossFit. And I shared it to Reddit. I say this on every podcast, but I love telling this story. I shared it to Reddit and the people, like it was an overwhelmingly like, this is shit. This is really bad. <laughs> In terms of like what you were actually doing or just the production yeah, quality? Like the content was just shit. Okay. So, so I, so, so one of the, one of the messages I had was some guy was like, well, here's the thing, man. Like there's no story. Like you're not trying to accomplish anything or at least you're not telling us about it. Right. You're not like particularly good looking, right? Like, <laughs> If we think about content, like sex sells, just yeah. being good looking, being ripped, that'll sell a lot. You're not a naked female is what you're saying. Exactly. And then like, yeah, so you, you have nothing right now. And I really thought about it. But one of the things this guy said was, you know, what are you good at? What are you good at? Or what are you trying to grow in? And my response, oh, I didn't write anything back. My response is going to be like, first off, I'm not that bad looking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, I think you're a good looking guy, <laughs> but second, but second off, you know, I understand weightlifting. If you, if I want to, if I want to deliver my expertise, it's going to be weightlifting It's at least compared to the rest of the CrossFit community. Mm -hmm. And I, I know that, like I said before, there's those issues that manifest later on. Once you've been introduced to them, you start training them for a while. There are those issues. And those are the things that I know how to combat. So I started to voice them out. Like I started to write, and then I would do a voiceover and uh, then I would post it. And I posted my first one, which was just like typical problems in the snatch or something like that, things you can do to fix them. And it was about pulling under after you make content and not just about the technicalities of the pull, not just the tech, you know, not just like the overarching concepts, but one specific aspect that I felt a lot of people were missing. Mm -hmm. I posted it and it got like a thousand views, you know, which was amazing. Yeah. And I remember I used to get emails every time I got a YouTube subscriber and I got like 15 emails saying like, Oh, someone subscribed. And I was like, Oh, this is awesome. You know? Yeah. So that was the rest is history. Like I just tried to do one of those a week in, for the next two and a half years or three years now. So, so now here we are, like I've done one a week for three straight years wow. since then. And I'm almost at a hundred thousand subscribers, which is just wild to me. It's yeah. absolutely wild. That's pretty crazy. And so now, here we are now, my current job, I do a lot of remote coaching. And then I also uh, coach in person, which I started to do last year, which was it's just been such an awesome addition to like my lifestyle. You know, I'll, I'll wake up, I'll do remote coaching, I'll train, I'll do some programming, maybe work on content, and then I'll go back to the gym and coach my guys. And that's just been awesome. Like, having physical, you know, coaching back and forth, like it's very important for your development, not just like the ins and outs, but like actual interaction with people. Like it's very important. If you want to be a coach, you have to know how to interact and how to calm people down and, you know, be kind of like a therapist, if you will. And then, 
yeah, so that's it. So it's like, it's for me, it's just remote coaching content and then in-person coaching and then also trying to compete as well. So that's where, that's my job right now. That's what I do. That's amazing. It sounds like the weightlifter dream right there. You know, it, it is, but if you, if you think about it, like, I mean, I love it. That's why it, it is a dream come true. I purposefully don't take on more work and make much, much more money because I love not having stress. Right. I'm addicted to not being stressed out, you know, <laughs> stress is the number one PED, right? If you can <laughs> mitigate that, you are going to perform at, at top notch all the time. So I know there's avenues for me to make money and they would make my life a lot harder, but I'm not going to take them. Right. Unless, you know, unless at some point, like I need the money or whatever. Most of the people my age, all of my friends who, who have, you know, degrees and they've, they're in an office from nine to five and most of them, I'd say all of them actually are making much more money than me. Right. like much more. So there's that, right? Like it's not just like this glorious lifestyle where I get to do, I just, I'm a weightlifting coach all the time. It's like, well, you know, it comes at a cost. I'm not making, you know, six figures a year plus like my friends who are, you know, I'm almost 30. People have been in these fields, uh, these business, these financial fields for, you know, seven years now. They're going to have pretty high salaries. They've done their, their work. I don't have that. Right. Do you, you think know? the way that weightlifting's looking in America right now, there might be an opportunity for weightlifting coaches to, to get to that point where that is, that is a profession? I don't think so. <laughs> Not looking hopeful? You have to think about like profit margins mm -hmm. and like an actual ROI from, from being a weightlifting coach is always, always going to be low. Right. I would say I make my money because of content mm -hmm. and because people see what I do and they ask for help. Not because I'm a weightlifting coach and I own a gym. Like that's just, it will never, ever, ever work out. That's what it really seems to be is that people who coach weightlifting do it out of passion and they have to have some other front to <laughs> feed themselves and buy groceries and all this stuff. Now, I'm just lucky enough that I have successful content. I really am. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. We'll keep it up. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit more about that though. You say you do a lot of remote coaching and, and um, you know, some of the stuff that you put out there is, is pretty awesome. I remember not too long ago, you put out um, one of your remote athletes. Uh, I think his name's Jacob. He did like mm -hmm. a, a 206 back squat, 206 kilos for, for a 10 rep max. That's fucking incredible at what is right. he? He's an 81 lifter. He's like gaining a lot of weight. So he's going to be an 89. Okay. He's um, pretty tall. So still for, for weight class, but yeah, that's incredible. And the, the big thing that stands out to me is that, all right, this guy was probably a 200 kilo plus squatter. So how do you get someone that's that strong, that much stronger? It's like the squat for him. It's like a treat that I dangle in front of him, <laughs> you know, and I pull it away. I don't, there's no point in squatting him heavy if, it's not going to benefit his total. Right. So for me, it's like, I only, you know, when I schedule squatting for him, it's usually once a week, maybe twice a week, but always at an RP eight or lower. And he knows if he doesn't get depth and he knows if he doesn't get speed, it doesn't count in my mind. Right. You know, you're going to get uh, diminishing returns at a certain point when you get a really, really strong squat. Mm -hmm. So that's it. I mean, that's mainly what I do with pretty much all of my lifters. I just, you can get a lot stronger with low percentage squats. You really can. And, and a lot of it is positioning and a lot of it is speed. Yeah. And I'll notice when someone is out of position and I'll be like, you cannot squat like that. Just please don't. Cause it, it will not transfer yeah. at all. Absolutely. So, 
Yeah. So you mentioned that a lot of the stuff you do is at RPE. So it's kind of, you know, self-regulated, that sort of thing. Do you, do you approach a lot of your programming in that way? I approach, yeah. So this is actually interesting because Max Ada, who's, I would kind of call like a mentor to me, uh, one of the juggernaut coaches. So, awesome. uh, and Max Ada, for those of you who are listening, like is the head juggernaut training systems, weightlifting coach, really knowledgeable guy, really, really just like a standout guy, like just a nice dude someone who you want to hang out with and he speaks very well. And so I, I'm kind of attracted to that, right? He can explain these concepts very eloquently. And one of the things that he came up with uh, was for his AI for weightlifting. And, you know, you can't put an RPE rate of perceived exertion or is it exhaustion? Um, I, exhaustion? Think it's, I think it's exertion. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Either way, it's just, <laughs> you're, you're, you're putting a rating on how hard you work. Right. And yeah. it's, really hard to do that with dynamic movement. So you can't do that with a snatch. You can't do that with a clean and jerk. But what you can do is you can understand when you grinded something or when you owned the weight. Yep. So he actually invented a scale and I forget what it is. It's like zero, one, two, or three. Uh, a three would be like, you missed it. A two would be like, you had to save it. A one would be like, it was a little bit difficult. And a zero was like, I smoked it. Like I absolutely worked it. Mm -hmm. So you would, you Essentially, if you're training, you can kind of use that kind of that kind of scale, but with your eye. And so what I try to do is just like breed this culture, at least in the gym. And then, you know, I'll try to instill these things into the people that I coach. I like, hey, I have percentage work for you. It really means nothing. <laughs> because if you're absolutely smoking it, we're going to put on five kilos and the percentages don't mean anything. If you feel like shit today because you slept wrong or maybe those back squats you did two days ago really haven't left you, you still feel fatigued, you're not going to do the weight that's prescribed because it looks like shit, mm -hmm. right? So that's the attitude and the way that I coach constantly. So it's not an RPE scale. I'll never like write a scale or anything like that. I sometimes I give ranges, which is a really nice trick, or I'll say starting at. And again, the whole, the goal here is like, I create that culture where like, Hey, you know, if you stepped out a rep or if you had to grind at the bottom of a snatch or you had to save it, like that's no good. So I'll give you this range. And as long as you follow those rules, you can go as heavy or as light as you want. That's more of my RPE scale for that. As far as squatting goes and pulling, it's just like powerlifting. It's the same thing. Okay. So, and again, we're looking for if, we're using overload movements like pulls or squats. Those are going to be heavier and, and more fatiguing than a clean and jerk or a snatch would. We are using them as tools to induce fatigue and not interrupt our recovery in a way that affects any other part of training. So what I do is I try to like pick my battles. Like today's going to be a hard squat day. And then we're just going to ride it out and kind of see where you can go heavy again in the snatch and the clean and jerk. And that's, where I use RPE. There's other little tricks that you can use to like, if, if a lifter is fatigued or they don't feel good, there's so many different tricks you can do instead of putting in arbitrary percentages or just percentages at them. Yeah. How many times do you get a lifter or someone that you're working with or yourself, you have to do a prescribed percentage and it just doesn't move the way you want it to. <laughs> Too many I, times. The goal, yeah. the, the goal for me is to try to like almost never have that happen. Almost never. Mm -hmm. So what can we do? We can introduce novelty or like, or variance, what people would call it, you know, 
And sometimes when you introduce novelty and variance, the person just forgets that they're lifting heavy and they'll end up having a very high load used. You know, Jacob, one of the guys that I work with, he's not as technically sound as he could be. So after like a really hard squat day or a really hard training day, you know, the next day I'll say, hey, we're going to do no hook, no foot snatches. And we're going to build to a nice little set here, just a single or a double. And like he'll hit near 90 to 95% or something like that, which is obviously not a good ratio, (laughs) but he'll hit it without even thinking about it. Right. But if I plugged in 95% singles or or 90% singles, he would think twice. He would be like, oh, I don't have it today. You know? Yeah. You're just approaching it differently, right? It's what can I do as opposed to what do I have to do? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, that's fantastic. I really like that approach to it. And I really like the emphasis on just good movement, right? If it's, that's kind of how I approach training too, is that you're going to kind of program towards the middle. There's going to be outliers and people that, that land on both sides of that curve. But if you can be variable in that, or at least train your athletes to, to be variable in their approach to the workout, then they're going to have more success with those lifts. The only real prescription for training is ideal movement. That's it. Love it. The only real prescription, because if you're not moving properly, when can you and what load can you move properly at? That's where we train. Mm -hmm. And as soon as it goes out of that, when you start to do technically things wrong, you could say, hey, get your shit together this next set or else we're going to have to go down. Yep. So that's it. The only prescription is good movement. That's like the the worst punishment to to someone that's trying to lift heavy also. No, you have to take weight off the bar. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) So that's absolutely phenomenal. Um, I really like that approach to it. Kind of sticking with that that programming and stuff, do you, with this kind of self-regulation, sort of we're we're judging based off of how the lifts look, do you stick with sort of a, a block periodization type model or is it truly just there's this general outline of what we want to be at this general time depending on, you know, if we're competing, when we're competing and you just kind of, I don't know, loosely put go with the flow or, or kind of see how they're lifting that day pertaining to that time period? I would use two tactics when I, when I program as far as periodization goes. So mm-hmm. for those of you listening, there's plenty of different types of periodization. When we say block periodization, it simply means that you are going to work on one aspect of training. So you typically there's three aspects. There's like the muscle building, the muscular endurance, the longer sets, things like that. Then there's the strength and strength is just bridging the gap to whatever you specifically want to do. Mm-hmm. So strength is, the same amount of activation, the same amount of output as 20 reps in the back squat. We would say a strength set would be like five reps. It's the same amount of output, but higher loads, higher intensities. And then we bridge the gap to what we would call power or, you know, one reps, things that are more specific. Right. And when you decide to block periodize, you're going to not ignore entirely the specificity of what you're trying to accomplish, but you're really going to dial in on one aspect at a time. And there's another version. It's called concurrent periodization. And like I said, there's tons of different versions, but these are the ones, the main ones that I see. Concurrent periodization is basically like you're going to work on all three aspects, but you're going to undulate the amount of intensity and load that you're going to work on those aspects. So in a, in a phase where you're trying to just build more capacity, build more fitness, you probably are going to have less intensity in the power movements, like your snatches and your clean and jerks, 
and you're going to have less importance on strength, almost zero. You're almost going to do, I would say you're going to do zero strength work, but you're using that power work, the snatch and the clean and jerk to keep your skills. You know what I mean? Yep. You're working on your techniques. You're, you're keeping them light, but you're just keeping yourself fresh so that when you come to that power section later on, that you're not just like starting from scratch. So then going into a strength phase, you're still doing capacity stuff. You might do on the minute work. You might still have higher sets of squats, but now you're just playing with the intensity of the strength or whatever it is. You're playing with the intensity to try and bridge that gap. Like we talked before, all the while you're still snatching and clean and drinking. So all three aspects are at play. Then when you get to a specific thing, when you're, four, five, six weeks out from competition, you're going to primarily focus on the power output and the amount of load in those power movements, the snatch and the clean and jerk for our sport. Mm -hmm. Then you're still going to do strength work, but you're not going to push to drive adaptation. Strength work might be utilized to act as a placeholder. So if you don't want to clean and jerk really heavy three times a week, you can front squat. Mm -hmm. right you, just to keep yourself ready to to not taper off completely and then as far as like the conditioning and the capacity stuff that can be as simple as like three sets of 10 pull-ups you know there's that hypertrophy still there there's a little bit of you know you're searching for activation in the muscles but you don't want to go heavy yeah absolutely um, that might be there as well you could grab a, a kettlebell like say you just did three sets of one back squats at 90%. That's a pretty tough workout. Then you're going to grab a kettlebell and do, you know, three sets of 12 goblet squats just to get activation and blood flow in the area. That would be a concurrent programming. What I try to do is depending on the efficiency of the lifter, I try to vary the concurrency. Sometimes if you're a new lifter, the concurrency is not going to be too varied. You're going to just focus on being a better lifter, like focus on, mastering the snatch and the clean and jerk. Mm -hmm. Pretty much everything we throw at you is just so that you can snatch and clean and jerk better. We don't even care about competition. We don't even care about what your total is. You're a baby. You're a child. You need to learn. So the concurrency is whatever. The block periodization is probably not going to exist. Once you get better, so you get to that intermediate phase, you find out what your weaknesses are. How, how close is your front squat to your clean? How close is your hang snatch to your snatch and then how can we vary your program based off of that again the concurrency is still there you have all three aspects that you're doing an advanced very advanced lifter the concurrency might be very drastic and it might almost mirror that of a block period this is something that i'm doing currently i don't feel like trying to snatch 140 kilos it mentally puts me in a weird place you know i don't want to try and clean a jerk over 175 kilos so right now i'm just working on my general fitness and i'll lift anywhere from 70 to 80 percent at very low volumes and that's you know that's a block mm -hmm. i'm gaining i'm trying to build a base while not having the specific aspects of my training decay that's what a typical advanced lifter would do. However, in the current, if you look at elite weightlifters, and we're talking about those who compete internationally, that's what I would say is an elite weightlifter. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty high standard. I don't think that an A session at a national meet makes you elite. You have to, you have to be at an A session in a world meet. Those are elite lifters. 
they don't get a chance to block periodize. They really don't because now within that 18 month time frame that the that the IWF, the International Weightlifting Federation has given them, they have to compete I I'm not I think it was like five or six times. Yeah. And so what that means is they don't get an opportunity to work on GPP, general physical preparedness. They don't get time to really have like a long ass strength block and really just for, you know, or let their body relax. They don't have that time. They have to go specific to, you know, chill for a little bit. It's their undulation, if you will, is not big enough. It's not grand enough. And that's when you can start getting injuries. That's when you plateau big time at the elite level. One, the last thing I was talking about, the other tool that I use is like daily undulating periodization. And that's just simply knowing that if you stress the body, it needs time to recover. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you see someone go really, really hard on a front squat and they're a strong person, most likely it's going to take them two, three, four days, even though they feel like they can lift well, even though they're not sore, even though they may wake up with a smile on their face, most likely they will not be able to hit good percentage work in the snatch and the clean and jerk within three days. Right. So that's when I was saying you should introduce novelty, variance, things to get the lifter moving and not thinking about the weight on the bar. Think about the stimulus. There's only seven days in a week, so we can't push someone throughout all seven of those days. We need time to take a breath break. So the trick, the real trick of programming is understanding how you can like emotionally tap into the athlete without scaring them, you know, and really pick your battles, pick the day where you're like, okay, I want to drive fatigue. Mm -hmm. I want this lifter to leave here and feel like, Oh my God, that really sucked. Because that does have to happen. If you want the body to adapt, you got to scare yourself a little bit. Yeah. But you have to pick those days. So that's kind of my overarching, like, absolute <laughs> speech on on programming and what I've learned. You know, this is something that I've learned in the past two years of just consistent, just grinding and coaching and coaching and coaching and coaching. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any systems in place to kind of gauge the fatigue, especially if a lot of your athletes are remote? Is there something that you can do to kind of communicate them or even kind of pick it's, up on some things that, that they might not be telling you? To I'm always watching them every day. So it's like if I see on a video, okay, you know, it, a lot, the system really is just feedback. Yeah. What I see and what they say. The issue is I don't know that a lot of my lifters have trained long enough to understand how to report their fatigue, yeah. which is a very, very hard thing. That takes years and years of training to understand how to accurately assess your own fatigue. Mm -hmm. It takes years. And it also takes a very high level of efficiency. So I'm not entirely sure that a lot of my lifters who I work with remotely are at that level. I do have, right now I've got five or six people who are at like kind of the national level, either A or B or C session, you know? And those are the people who I like really, I'm just constantly saying like, hey, fatigue really does matter and we have to pick our battles. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's really the only system. I wish there was a easier or a better way for me to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes that's a lot of stuff. I know in person you can kind of pick up on the stuff reading in between the lines. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I've done some remote coaching for myself in the past and I know like, 
I might not communicate it, but if I say like, oh, a little bit tired today, that means that I am fucked up. Like it probably took me 15 minutes to get my knees to bend in the morning. That's a little tired for me. Exactly. And so if I tell you, hey, we're snatching 90% today and you're like, all you see is a program. That's the issue with remote coaching. It's like, Mm -hmm. all you see is a program that says 90% today, that's it. Yep. Right that's where you as an athlete begin to really stress out and second guess your abilities, you know? And that's what I try to say like all the time, like, Hey guys, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter as long as we're training. And as long as we stay within our prescription, which is moving well, we will always be getting better. Allow the concurrency of the program to work on the things that need to be worked on over a long scale. Mm -hmm. But on one day in one day, the only thing that matters is good movement. I mean, dude, I've, I've legitimately like two weeks out from competition where I successfully snatched 140. I snatched 110 and I said, this is not a good day. <laughs> snatched 110. I said, this isn't it. <laughs> so I went up to about like 120 and it was a little bit of a shaky set. So I go, okay, you know what? I'm going to go back down to 110 and I'm going to do like a little complex and I'm done snatching. Mm-hmm. That was it. Two weeks later, I snatched 140. It means nothing. Those intra- those single days mean absolutely nothing. You're always going to come in tomorrow and you're always going to come in the next month and the next year. Mm-hmm. So people get in their own heads. That's the biggest issue with this whole thing. People get in their own heads. And if you're not communicating as a coach constantly, what I basically just said, you know, that's when you start to have athletes be like, you know, maybe weightlifting isn't for me. Maybe, maybe I am at the end of my rope, certain things like that. Yeah. I love that message because a lot of times, especially during some of those higher fatigue stages where you're really trying to push the back squat or, or maybe push a press or a pull, something where you're really trying to draw that adaptation for the long term of eventually converting that into maybe a higher snatch or a higher clean and jerk. And then in that period when they're snatching and clean and jerking like garbage or their you know, numbers that they used to hit easy feel really fucking hard. I see a lot of lifters get in their head during those points and, and just not really know how to deal with that frustration. Like, am I getting worse at this thing that I'm constantly pushing towards? Yeah. So I think that's a really good message to kind of be communicating and just always be in athlete's ear about. So there's a lot of value in that. I know when I personally train, I only care about like one or two days. (laughs) Yeah. Like one or two days, I'm going to go, go for it. Like one or two days a week or just one or two days in general, one or two days a week. Okay. Right. So like one or two days a week, And I'm going to be like, okay, today's my clean and jerk day. Today is my clean and jerk day. And that means that I'm going to do three to five to eight reps at very high intensities. And it's going to shake me up a little bit. But outside of those two days, I'm just filling in the gaps. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to get in, move, maybe work on some things, just get my body feeling right. And then boom, there's those stress days. For someone who's not as advanced, you have to determine how many days you're going to implement those stressors. The total load on someone like Wes Kitts is just outrageous, mm-hmm. right? So if I say Wes back squat 90%, he's going to be hurting from that, yeah. okay? If I say, hey, guy who just started weightlifting eight weeks ago, do a back squat at 90%, he'll probably be able to come in the next day and be fine. It's training age. It is the amount of load that you use. There's body weight. There's different factors. And usually they'll be able to tell you, like, if you just, you don't even have to keep track of all those factors. You don't even have to think in very convoluted terms. You will see as a coach, you'll see with your eyes what's happening. And then that's on you to make adjustments. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a responsibility that a lot of coaches don't understand that is theirs, especially if a lot of coaches I'll see will take, you know, maybe a, a remote program and they'll just kind of throw that on the board for, for their team or wh- wherever they're coaching. I'm like, all right, this is it. Go for it. And they don't take that process in and, and really adjust per person or based on how this person's moving or lifting or, you know, training age is, is huge. You know, if, if you have some guys that are squatting over 200 kilos and, and they've been training their entire life, or maybe you have like a lighter female that could take a ton of volume, they don't, you know, they're not necessarily going to respond the same way to the same program. Right. So, yeah. So taking in those factors is, is incredibly important. Like I, I have a 64 kilo girl right now and we pretty much go up to a maximum fun squat like four or five times a week. <laughs> and it does induce fatigue, but again, relative to her clean and jerk, relative to her recovery abilities and the amount of weight she's actually lifting, it's not that crazy, yeah. you know? So I myself wouldn't do anything like that. <laughs> I mean, I could, I could do it, but I don't, it wouldn't help. Right. Yeah. There's a certain place where you just get diminishing returns where you're just kind of beating yourself into the ground and Mm -hmm. these things aren't necessarily so important to hit a heavy front squat every day as it is to actually, you know, focus on executing in your snatch and your cleaner jerk. Exactly. So yeah, absolutely. I love that. I think that's a really good outlook on programming and, and a really good approach to it, focusing more so on the quality of the execution of, of the end goal, like the specificity part of it, and then kind of varying in between where you have to pulling back or, or pushing where you need to. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic way to look at it as opposed to just saying, all right, I got this eight-week program off the internet. This is it. This is the Bible. This is what's going to get me to PR. Eight weeks And I got it. I would say, and this is something that I'm recently discovering, the education system that we have currently drives that mindset to the fullest extent. Kids Uh, don't give a shit about what they're doing in school. They just simply don't care. And so what they say to their teacher, their professor, they say, tell me exactly what I need to do and I will do it. Okay. Tell me exactly what that thing is and I will do it. And if you do, if you give me the A, I, there's that little, you know, little shaking of hands. Like that's what I'm doing. Okay. The real world does not work like that at all. I don't know a single employer who would like someone who thinks along those lines. Like I, I personally just don't, it doesn't matter what field it is, but especially in training, you'll see it to a T. If I give someone a program, they say, here's my program. Is this what's going to get me a better snatch and a cleanager? I say, no, <laughs> No, it's not. You, as the athlete, have the responsibility of knowing how to auto-regulate, how to hold yourself accountable, and how to, oh God, what's the other A that I have? I actually stole this from Max as well. Okay. Accountability, auto-regulation, and it's on one of my YouTube videos. But <laughs> There you go. You'll have to go you watch. You have the responsibility to take the interest yourself and make adjustments yourself. So... The issue with that first way of thinking that I was talking about is that you have set yourself up to become dependable. You will not change unless professor or teacher tells you to change because professor or teacher knows how you can get a good grade. So you keep doing what you're doing. You don't think about adjusting. You don't think about experimenting. You don't think about failing and trying to learn to do a better way. So that's my understanding. When I give someone a program or when I you know, show them the work. It's like you yourself have to be interested in experimenting, changing, holding yourself accountable. I am here simply to suggest. I am a professional suggester. That's it. 
right? Yeah. That's really like the main thing. Like you talk about giving someone an eight week program and saying it can be a meaningless piece of paper. It's less than an outline. It is such a small, not important part of what we're trying to accomplish long-term. And I feel if you start with an athlete young enough, they may feel like, you know, I'm just not going to experiment with it. If an athlete goes through their entire lives, not really interested in coaching or learning more, they're just kind of going to practice and leaving. That can happen. That way of thinking. It's the constant experimenting, failing and doing something better. It's just, it allows you, it's refreshing. A lot of those people that are experimenting and changing the way they train, they're not going to plateau and they're not going to quit. So I've noticed that now that I work with college kids who mentally, like they've just never been in the workforce. They don't like, they don't understand these concepts at all. They're coming to me with open arms being like, teach me the snatch and the clean and jerk and tell me what to do. And from day one, I, I just, we, we just had our like orientation last week. I brought everyone in. I was like, listen, you guys need to take it upon yourselves to be interested in the sport, to know the terminology, to operate on kilograms, right? That's even something simple <laughs> like that. You know, the less you have to ask me in the beginning, you know, which grip we're using, should I hook grip, all of these things the quicker, the more you'll be involved in the sport and the less of a chance it is you will quit. I'm not going to lie. I have a lot of these college kids end up quitting. They don't because they truly don't understand what they're really getting into. And six months later, when they want to re-up for next semester, they're like, ah, you know, I don't really like it. And so that's something that I've, I've recently started to, to grow into that, that sort of that theory. For yeah. Sure. yeah, absolutely. I think just like anything that in life that you can be passionate about, you have to take you have to take the driver's seat and you have to play a role absolutely. In, yes. in actually immersing yourself in that and learning. It's always good to have a coach because that's a second opinion. It's a little little more objective outlook on what you're doing. But if you're not taking it into your own hands and you're not learning about it and, and really trying to better yourself, then no one else is going to do it for you. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely can see that in a lot of the younger population these days. They just want the answer, want the kind of quick fix. And another part of it too is just delayed gratification. I mean, especially the deeper you get into the sport, that gratification is delayed. It takes, you know, months or maybe years if you have injuries and setbacks to get a couple kilos on your total. So that's, I think, a big part of it that's, that's not very sexy for a lot of people. Yes, for sure. Awesome. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I really do appreciate you um, sitting down and chatting with us today, Zach. Is there anywhere, I mean, where do you want people to come and find you? Uh, YouTube, yeah. Instagram, all that stuff? YouTube, just search my name, Z-A-C-K space T-E-L-A-N-D-E-R. On Instagram, it's coach underscore Z-T. I do have my programs for sale for the high price of $1. $1. So all you got to do is subscribe to my Patreon and you get literally the entirety of my programs. And I did that purposefully because I just don't value programs like, like I think most people do. So if you subscribe to my Patreon, which is just patreon.com slash Zach Tellender, you can get my programs for $1. Awesome. Take <laughs> and, and they are worth how much? I don't know how much they're worth, you know? <laughs> Millions, trillions. Are they the secret to your next PR? Yeah, they could be, you know, they, <laughs> they could be. I don't, I don't really know how much they're worth, but I know how much I, I 
care about them and that's one dollar <laughs> so yeah and if you guys like the content the main thing is like if you like the content it just helps me like i have to travel to uh ohio for the arnold right. and I, I like making content at those things i coach people this is like like it all kind of helps out like i take that money from patreon and i like use it to be better as a weightlifting coach that's it like so i can do my job the best that i can that's fantastic. I want to keep watching your videos. So you guys go subscribe, give Zach your dollars so I can keep watching his content. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Thanks again for your time, Zach. I really enjoyed yeah, talking man. to you. Thank you so much. All right.